the Gritty Growing Up podcast. Because mental health conversations don't have to be uncomfortable and argumentative. Gritty Growing Up is about challenging the perceptions of childhood and recognising that whilst it isn't what it used to be, we can still make it positive. Join us as we share conversations, knowledge and strategies to help your family connect and move forward together. And welcome back to Gritty Growing Up. Now this week I want to extend some of the conversations we've had recently about eating disorders. An eating disorder is a mental health disorder which affects our behaviours, attitudes and thoughts around food. But it's still surrounded in so many myths and so many question marks. People very often just perceive that eating disorders are all about body image and weight. So in this podcast we're going to look at the other side of eating disorders. Beat in 2020 believed that approximately 1.25 million people in the UK have an eating disorder. Around 25% of those are thought to be male. In 2007, the NHS Information Centre stated that 6.4% of adults displayed signs of an eating disorder. Whilst Digital NHS UK identified that 13.1% of 16 to 24 year olds have experienced symptoms of an eating disorder in the past. So what is it that's creating them? Now, there's some really popular myths and misconceptions about eating disorders. For instance, that eating disorders only affect females. We know that eating disorders don't discriminate. Both males and females can be diagnosed with them. We can believe that eating disorders only affect young people. However, eating disorders do not discriminate between age, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation or socioeconomics. Adults are just as likely to have an eating disorder. People believe that those with eating disorders are always significantly underweight. However, in atypical anorexia and atypical bulimia, a person can be of a normal weight but still be exhibiting eating disorder behaviours. Eating disorders are considered to be about body image, but eating disorders are complex mental health issues and do not have one singular case. Eating disorders are not always about weight, but they become about weight. So one of the things I want to discuss today is the journey that brought me into becoming a therapist. Back in when I was 21, I was a victim of domestic violence. And through persistent emotional and financial abuse, the stress levels obviously built up and a pursuing police case meant that a number of failures were made by the police force. This meant that the guy that I was involved with never faced criminal prosecution and instead the police officers involved both faced IPCC investigations and subsequent consequences. However, what it didn't do was resolve the issues that I'd been faced with. I was never provided proper victim support and I was never provided adequate counselling or therapeutic advice or support following that incident. Instead, being a recovering perfectionist now, at the time my perfectionist was rife and instead I threw myself into work. I threw myself into my full-time job and I threw myself into doing a degree and my early years professional status, effectively completing two dissertations in the space of one year. Whilst in the meantime, trying to keep myself away from my thoughts and trying to prevent myself from thinking about what I'd been through, because quite honestly, no one really understood. I threw myself into the gym because it gave me some semblance of control in a world that felt completely out of control. The challenge that you have when you're so young and go through an experience such as domestic violence is nobody's looking for it. It gets put down as just a breakup. Oh, you know, it's just taking her a long time to get over what happened to her. But nobody truly appreciates the impact that that situation has had. No one experiences domestic violence and comes out unscarred. 
I always said that I wish in so many respects that I'd had broken limbs or black eyes because people would have had more understanding that I'd been through so much pain. And the challenge that you have when you've been through that is all your scars are internal. You learn to stop talking. You learn not to react. You learn not to talk. You learn not to behave in certain ways in hope that you can prevent some of the consequences in that relationship. At 21, you don't have the life experience to cope with that. And anyone who's experienced narcissistic abuse will appreciate that it doesn't matter if you're 21, 31 or 51. The impact is fast and the impact is significant and it's not something you get over in five minutes. It's also not something that many people truly know how to support or guide or help with. So I threw myself into work, I threw myself into my studies and I threw myself into the gym in a hope that I could control some of those emotions. I felt the level of discomfort, I found a way to control it, it therefore meant that I felt empowered and then the destructiveness came back and it started to continue. Over time the gym just wasn't cutting it so I decided if I looked better then I would feel better and over time that then extended into restricting my food intake which then led into over-exercising which led into a feeling that if I didn't exercise something bad would happen which led into if I don't do this then I'm not good enough and we can see that perfectionist thinking that kicks in. If I don't do X then Y will happen. So you do more of X, you exercise more, you restrict more, you do these things, but no point did I set out to have an eating disorder. The difficulty you have at 24, 25, when you walk into your doctor's office and tell them that you're not eating properly is that actually they're not looking for anorexia either. We know that our GPs face so many difficulties and challenges, but I was told that my BMI wasn't low enough to be able to give be given any support, so I was sent out of the doctor's office. So to be honest, it offered me an opportunity to continue as I was going because if a medical professional is telling you that you're actually not that sick, there's no reason to be concerned. Now, obviously, I had friends who were concerned. I had people making comments. Even today on Facebook memories, I will see posts that I'm in the gym where well-meaning friends would comment, you know, just go and eat some cake with absolutely no understanding of the damage that was being done underneath. And it's why we have to be aware that sometimes the things that trigger eating disorders are not body image, they are not social media, they are not pictures in magazines, they are not airbrushed pictures on Instagram. Yes, they all have a part, yes, they all have a place, and yes, they do condition us to believe that women's bodies should look a certain way, that male bodies should look a certain way. However, what we truly need to appreciate is that very frequently eating disorders are a complex and challenging situation and there is not one cause. I meet so many young people in my work as a therapist and so many adults and parents and teachers when I'm delivering training who will say, why, what caused this? Why is this child doing this? Why is this teenager doing this? Why is this young person doing this? What made this happen? And the reality is that there's not one cause. There wasn't one cause. The domestic violence wasn't just the cause of my eating disorder. The lack of police attention wasn't the cause of my eating disorder. The dismissal from my GP wasn't the cause of my eating disorder. The cause of my eating disorder was that my life felt like it was completely out of control. Everyone was discussing me, making decisions about me, or making choices that were going to impact the quality of my life. And they were being made around me, not with me. When the police got involved in my case, they took over, they didn't listen to me, they didn't take into account what I was saying and at one point I was told what a silly little girl I was for getting myself into that situation. 
Nobody walks into a relationship with a neon sign above its head that says, oh, hello, I'm domestic violence. And in order for us to change the stigma around around mental health, we need to start changing the training that we're providing to the professionals who are the first contact for these young people. Because it doesn't matter if you're four, whether you're 14, whether you're 24, 34, 44 or any other age, if the first professional you come into contact with dismisses you, does not validate what you're saying or has already made their decision about how you feel before they get there, you are less likely to open up, you are less likely to tackle what's happening and you learn to mask what's going on. So we really need to take responsibility as those adults who are the first contact for young people in thinking to ourselves, what are my judgments? What are my barriers? What are the myths that I believe? What are the preconceptions that I've already made about this person? Whether it's the young guy or the young girl who's got an eating disorder, whether it's the young person who's sitting there telling you that they've been sexually assaulted or raped, whether it is an adult sitting in front of you saying that they've been the victim of domestic violence, We need to learn to quieten our own minds and quieten our own judgments and instead learn to hear what they're saying. We need to learn that actually we need to validate what they're saying to us right now and we need to make them feel heard. We need to give those young people who are struggling with their mental health a voice. We need to be their advocates and we need to support them. I was really, really fortunate that whilst I didn't receive the help that I would have so kindly welcomed with my eating disorder or the domestic violence, I did find a whole pile of alternative therapists that did help me. And whilst obviously it's really important to go and use your GP and your hospital and those services, I can also truly appreciate why so many people do go down alternative routes. As long as that alternative person has been appropriately trained in safeguarding and has a good understanding of referral systems and when to move on, sometimes these people can be a massive aid to us. Whether they are therapists, whether they are dietitians, whether they are complementary therapists such as acupuncture or anything like homeopathy, all of these different traits can they all can support us in so many ways. When we're working with young people with complex needs, we need a team. We need everybody around us, and I needed everyone around us. Now, I've been really, really fortunate that I've been in recovery for nearly 15 years, and I don't have any triggers, and I don't have any consequences, and I'm able to now support other young people that are going through really challenging times, and I feel blessed to have that opportunity But one of the greatest things that still makes me sad is that 15 years after my own recovery and nearly 20 years after I walked into that police station, walked into that doctor's office, I still have young people coming into my office saying nobody believes me. People think that I'm making it up. If I tell someone what happened to me, they are going to be cross with me. If I tell someone what's going on, they aren't going to believe me. If I get better, people will think that I've made it up. So we've got so much work still to do with mental health. We have to start that in our households with the way that we talk about mental health, with the way that we respond to mental health and with our education about mental health. We need to take that into our schools and we need to address with all of our staff from the receptionist to the school nurse, to the teachers, to the teaching assistants, to your senior leadership teams. What is your understanding of mental health and how to respond to it effectively? If we respond effectively to mental health, then early intervention would be so much more possible and so many more young people would be saved. Because if we start taking this more seriously, we can prevent those crisis cases. So whilst my eating disorder might have been a world-class nightmare, 
Whilst domestic violence was definitely not something I would choose for my own daughter, I'm so grateful that it taught me how not to respond to mental health issues. I'm so grateful that I had the resilience to be able to fight back against a system that unfortunately wasn't prepared for me at that point. And I'm so grateful that I'm here now to tell the tale, but also to have had the training to be able to help so many other young people. So if you're a young person listening who's really struggling, find that safe person and do not stop telling someone until someone listens. And I know that's really hard, but there will be someone out there who will listen. If you are a parent with a young person who's really struggling, just make sure that we've left our preconceptions at the door, that we've left our judgments at the door and we're open to what they're saying. And if you're a professional who might be that first port of contact for that young person, just make sure your ears are open and that you're validating what they say. You don't have to agree with it. You just need to hear their voice. Because if we all start doing more of that, we can change the face of mental health support in the UK and we can start making some better futures for young people. So until next time, please stay safe, look after each other, keep talking, keep listening. And I'll be back soon with more Gritty Growing Up. Stay safe, keep open-minded, and we'll look forward to sharing more gritty moments with you next time. If you want to up your knowledge in the meantime, head over to www.dandeliontraininganddevelopment.com.